So what I would like to speak to you about today is something that I was inspired after I was at um, the Christian Union, and they asked me to speak about suffering. And I want to speak to you this morning over the next couple of weeks about God's providence and suffering together. How do these things work together? And so we're going to read two scriptures um, to kick off this morning. The first is Psalm 103, verse 19, which my translation says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. (laughs) The Lord has established this heavenly rule, this heavenly kingdom, where He reigns in power over the earthly kingdom that we see, and He rules over everything and every detail in every way. Now, I'm going to ask you to consider this question together with me this morning. Do you really, really believe that? And I hope by the end of this message, you will really, really believe that. Okay? And now, so, with that in your minds, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read uh, from 26 to 40. And this is Jesus sending out his disciples. And listen to what he says to them. So have no fear over them, uh, of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. (laughs) I love that verse. Fear not. (laughs) Therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water, cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So today, I want to speak to you about God's Providence. It's an old-fashioned word. It's probably um, used more by philosophers than it is in the Bible. But it's kind of, it's trying to describe the Lord's reign or rule um, over all of creation. And the Bible, rather than using this word providence, uses the word kingship. Uh, the idea that God is king. The idea that God rules over everything. He ro- rules over the cosmos and nature and you and I uh, over our lives. And that's what we read out, out of Psalm 
103. He's established his throne in the heavens. He rules in power from the heavens, and he rules in power over everything that we see, including our lives. And as we think about God's power today, I want to begin with that simple question, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that God reigns over every single detail of your life? And you see, that's why I read to you Matthew chapter 10, because here Jesus is sending out his disciples, his apostles, and they're nervous, they're scared about going out. And Jesus says to them, my friends, don't be afraid. Don't fear anyone. Don't fear anything. Don't fear those that can kill your body even, because uh, I'm sending you out. I am with you. And to, to try and illustrate what he's saying, he uses this very simple teaching, and he says that actually uh, what, what I want to reassure you with as you go out is that actually God is in control of every single detail of your life. And he uses this illustration, says, not even two sparrows fall to the ground without the Father knowing. And sparrows in those days were the cheapest uh, bird that you could buy as a sacrifice that were common. Uh, no one worried very much about sparrows. And, and, and Jesus is saying to his, his disciples, not even two sparrows fall to the ground without the Father's knowledge. Even the hairs on your head are numbered, and God knows them. Look at the stars, every single star. In fact, the Bible says that God knows all of the stars by name and calls them by number. Do you know that? And in the ancient world, they would have been able to see about 2,000 stars with their, the t telescopes and their eyes that they had at those times. 2,000 stars they would have seen in the night sky. And so Jesus says, all of those 2,000 stars, God knows them by name. He calls them by number. Now we know today that even uh, in our galaxy, there are billions of stars. And the scripture says, oh, that's, that's, um, M, uh, G, God knows, that's MX501, that's Jupiter. That's whatever it is. He calls them all by number, and he knows them all by name. The point is, what, what he's trying to say here is that every single detail is known by God. There's nothing unknown by him, and his, his, his rulership is over all. From every single detail, the hairs of your head, the, the sparrows that fall, the billions of stars, God knows about everything and rules over everything in power. And so he's saying to his disciples, don't worry. Don't fear. Even your family might not understand you. That's what he's saying in the second half. All that stuff about a daughter will be against her mother. He's trying to say, even your family might not really understand what you're on about, and it's a tough thing, but don't worry. God is in charge. Every single detail, even the little detail of giving a cup of cold water in my name, if you do that as my disciple, there's a reward for you that awaits. This is what Jesus is saying. So my question to you this morning is, do you really believe it? Well, I hope we're going to answer that question together this morning, all right? And I have to say that uh, perhaps there's some of you sitting here this morning that uh, find that, e that idea a little bit easier. And maybe some of you find that idea very hard. You struggle with that idea. How can God possibly be in control of every detail, of everything that is happening in the universe? Well, as we look at history this morning, I'm going to go through a little bit of history with you. Uh, it, might, it might comfort you to know that actually that's always been the case throughout history. There are some people that have been comfortable with that idea, and there are others that have struggled with that idea. And certainly since um, the 16th century in particular, the idea of God's providence, this idea of God's rulership, has steadily declined in our, in our culture. And so today, 
many people have questions like, well, what about suffering? What about calamity? What about bad things that happen to good people? How can God possibly be reigning in power? Just the last couple of weeks, we've had another mass shooting in the States. 58 killed, hundreds injured. We've had Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, lauded by liberals as the liberator of the sexual revolution, die. In reality, from my point of view, he's the pimp responsible for the popularization on a mass scale of pornography that has degraded women, sexualized women, made them in the image of lustful men, and sold them as an image to people all over the world. And millions of men have images of women like that in their brain, and their marriages are destroyed, and their lives are tarnished forever. That's the legacy of Hugh Hefner, the great liberator. Wasn't God watching? What about all that suffering? Did, is God just ignoring it? Didn't he see it? What about the innocent babies that die? What about 9-11? What about the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami? What about the Haiti earthquake? What about all these things? Is God asleep? Does he not notice? Does he not see? And of course, these are the kind of questions that our culture asks over and over again and possibly... You ask those questions this morning as well, and you struggle with the idea of God's kingship, His rule over everything. Am I too loud? Okay. So there have these, there, there, there's been the struggle in people's thinking for many hundreds of years. So what you feel today, perhaps you struggle, you're not unique, eh? People have struggled with these things, and we wrestle with these things as human beings. And on the other hand, I don't know if you've uh, thought about this, there, there are also people that have really believed in providence. They've really believed that God has called them for a particular purpose in history. And the obvious example for, as English people that we can think of is Winston Churchill. Churchill during the Second World War genuinely believed that it was his destiny to lead the UK and to, to, to uh, save the world from this tyranny of Nazism. Uh, he was motivated by that. Do you read any bi bibliography of, of any story of, of Churchill? He was motivated by a deep sense of providence that he was destined, that God had called him, that he was the right man for the job. And do you know, Hitler also believed the same thing. He also believed that he was born to, to uh, build a kingdom, a third Reich that would reign for a thousand years. That's what motivated him. Both of these men motivated by the sense of providence. We, um, Helen and I went to see um, the Dunkirk movie recently. Have you seen that movie? Go and see it. What a brilliant movie. And that's the story about the rescue of the British troops from the beaches. Uh, you, you, you know the story. But when you read some of the history books, you, you kind of get the sense uh, that this language is, is used that really God was with us to help us to make that happen. It was like a miracle that they got all of those men off the beaches uh, with all these little vessels from all the south of England. Going to, it was a miracle. They're, they're, you can read in the history books. They used that kind of language. There was something of God's providence that helped it to happen. And so the British laid claim, in a, in a sense, to God's with us, you know. Got all the men off the beaches. I don't know if you know this, but at the end of the war in 1945, Roosevelt died, yeah? American leader. And you know, Goebbels, Goebbels was one of the right-hand men, Hitler's right-hand men. And uh, 
he said that Roosevelt's death was a sign from God that they were going to win the war. The Germans were still going to win the war. Why? Because Roosevelt had died. It was a sign from God. It was providence. Uh, there's approval from the heavens that we're going to still win. Isn't it interesting? Often in conflicts and wars, both sides say that God is with them. Both sides claim God's providence. I know that as a South African, we had the Boer War in our history. At the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, both sets of fighters, the Boers on one hand and the, and the British on the other, both laid claim and said God was with it. God's on our side. And obviously, when we look at the Second World War in particular, certainly cost, you cannot possibly believe that to be possible. So these things shake people's idea of God's providence, that He rules righteously from heaven. And we see these things, we think, how can it be? Secondly, great tragedies shake people and make them think about the providence of God. I mentioned some already today that are, are, are um, the recent things, but... I don't know if you've uh, thought historically that in 1745, um, Lisbon was one of the great cities of the world. You know that? It was one of the fourth biggest city in uh, Europe at the time. And in 1745, there was a massive earthquake in L Lisbon that destroyed 80% of the city. 50,000 people, they estimate, lost their lives. And the interesting thing is that it happened on the, the day of the biggest Catholic festival, all Saints Day, when all the people were out celebrating this amazing festival, an earthquake happened, it destroyed the city, and 80% and of the people died, 50,000 were killed. And at the time, people responded and said, how can this be possible? If there is a ruler, a God who reigns over everything, how could he allow an earthquake on All Saints Day to destroy the city and all the churches and 50,000 people to be killed? How is this possible? And so this idea of God's Providence. I, I, I believe true faith can never be lost. If you're a f person of faith, you don't lose your faith just because of these things. But that helped people to, to lose their philosophical belief in the idea that God is in control of everything. And they surrendered the idea. The more tragedies people see, they surrender their idea of God ruling in a philosophical way. But I want to say to you this morning, Psalm 103, God reigns from heaven. God is in the control. I want to convince you this morning to believe in the providence of God in your life. And I want to start with another question. If you doubt the providence of God in your life, let me ask you this. Let's consider some of the alternatives as we go forward today. And I want to ask you, what is the general overview? What is the, what is the overarching thing that motivates you in your life? Here are a couple of options that I can give you in terms of what our culture offers us as alternatives. Here they are. The first is an atheist's view. Atheists say there's no God. Atheists say that this material world is all that we get. It's all about luck and random chance. We don't ever really know what we're going to get. And actually, you either get lucky or you don't. In this, this universe that is completely neutral, there's no good, there's no evil, it's just matter. It's, it, it, and I, I personally, I feel incredibly 
sorry for atheists who hold this view. Why? Because the world is incredibly impersonal. It's incredibly dark. It's incredibly cold. There's no personality in it. There's nothing behind the universe that we see. It's all matter and random and chance and uh, X and Y equals Z. In case you think I'm putting this on, I'm not. Let me quote to you a very famous atheist, Richard Dawkins, who describes suffering and good and evil in a book that he wrote called River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life. So he's coming as an atheist. He's coming as a person who believes in evolution, Darwin's theories, and he says this. The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replications, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect. At the bottom, there's no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing. These are his words. Nothing but pitiless indifference. That's what Dawkins says. That's what we get. We get pitiless indifference from the universe. And if tragedy happens to you, it's your bad luck. You see, the point that I'd like to try and help you to see with this worldview, if you have this view of pitiless indifference in terms of the world, it's very hard to justify any kind of morality. Why should anybody choose to live in a certain way if everything is all just chance, everything is just random, and it's all just matter that is contributing to how our universe is? If everything is random choice, uh, chance, cold and impersonal, why live a good life? And the interesting thing to me is that really, I know some people who are atheistic, they don't live like that. They don't live in an impersonal way. If you go up to someone and say, oh, uh, and you just steal something from them, they'll say, well, well, you shouldn't do that. Even an atheist will say, you shouldn't take my stuff. <laughs> but the logical question is, why not? If it's all just random chance, it's my good luck that I take your stuff. It's your bad luck that you've lost your stuff. There's no good, no evil. You get my point? It doesn't help us say why we ought to live in a certain way. It's not, it's, you can't live with that logic consistently in your own life. Why should we reach out to the poor? Why should we free people from sexual slavery? Why? It's just luck and chance. Why should we do any of that? It's their bad luck. It's my good luck. It's, that's it. It's a cold, impersonal universe, a pitifully indifferent universe. It's, I've got, it's got nothing to do with me. It's just the way the dice is rolled. That's an atheist view. Second, I offer you another option. And you might not have thought about these things. I want to tell you that all of us have a particular view by which we live, whether you've thought about it or not. You live in a certain way because you have a general worldview that you've embraced, adopted, and we think we are so clever. We think that we have arrived in the 21st century with our own creative ideas. My friends, we have been, we are the product of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of thinking. 
He has another view, a deist view. What is a deist view? It's a belief in God, but it says, well, God, God's really not interested in us. God is kind of out there somewhere. He exists. He's out there in the somewhere, but he's in the background. He's not, you can't really know him. You can't really have relationship with him, fellowship with him. You know, he's in the background somewhere. Well, that kind of view was shattered with the earthquake in 1745 in Lisbon. At that time, there were people like Voltaire. You heard these names? Voltaire was a French philosopher. He kind of was a, a deist, more atheistic, but he was a deist. Another guy called Rousseau. Remember those guys? And they had this deist worldview, which fitted what was happening at that time, because at that time, great, great scientific discoveries had been made. Newton had just discovered gravity. Others had um, discovered electricity. And so it fitted with this worldview that actually the world is just like a giant clock. The universe is just like a giant clock. In fact, um, Voltaire said it's like the, the big clock in, St in Strasbourg Square. It's just been wound up. And it's just running, and God is kind of removed from it, and he doesn't really have a relationship with us, and we can't really know him. And actually, the miraculous, people stop believing in the miraculous around this time. Why? Because if you believe the universe is a great big clock that's been wound up, there's no miraculous intervention. There can't possibly be. It's just running down. Well, people thought that for a while, and then along comes Mr. Einstein and destroys all of the stuff that Newton has said. <laughs> he says, no, actually, the universe is, is not just a giant clock. Uh, the universe is a mystery, says Einstein. He comes up with his famous E equals MC squared, right? And he says strange things like, actually, uh, the universe is bent by gravity. I don't even know what that means. Does anyone know what that means? You, he proves it. The universe is bent by gravity. There's all sorts of things that we don't know. It doesn't just work like a clock. It is a mystery, and Einstein blows all of Newton's theories out of the water. And so we have some ideas that are stem from this kind of deist view. And one is called dualism. It's simply this. That they are, they are, it's the idea that there's really two kind of, there are really two equal gods out there. This is what Freddie Mercury believed. Anyone heard of Freddie Mercury? He was a Zoroastrian. You know what that is? It's an ancient Persian religion. And it believed that there are two equal forces in the universe. One is good, one is light, and the other one is dark and evil. And they are equal and opposite. And they, they fight all the time. And you and I, we are just caught in the, in the crossfire. Star Wars, yes, for all the Star Wars fans. May the force be with you. An equal and opposite force. They're both the same, equally strong. I want to put it to you. There's some Christians that are more dualistic than they are Christian. Why? Because they think the devil is so strong. They think the devil is equal to God. And so when they pray, it's like, we bind you, Satan. And they pray, they're praying more to Satan than they are to God. They're, they're, actually, they're actually saying that, that the devil is, is God's equal. The devil is not God's equal. The devil, Satan, is a created being. He's far less than God, in, in infinitely far less. He's nothing. God reigns and rules in power. Don't be a dualist when you pray. Take the authority that God has. For you. Satan is under our feet. That's what the scripture says. Then there's this 
view of determinism. What do I mean by that? Well, this view of life holds that everything is fate. You know, there are people that live like this. What star sign were you born under? Oh, the whole of your life is determined by your star sign. Really? Who I am is determined that I was born in April under some star called Aries? This is how people live. They live in a fatalistic way. Have you noticed how many movies are out at the moment that are, are these, these movies about great tragic heroes from the early centuries? Have you noticed that? It's a fatalistic view. I've been watching one. I can't even remember its name. but it, um, uh, What is it called? It's about the Vikings. And they come down. And, and the hero is a Viking. And his tagline for all of the series is, Destiny is all. Destiny is all. In other words, I don't really get to choose about my life because it's my destiny. Yeah, it's fated. The stars have decided. The gods have decided. It's the destiny for my life that this is going to happen. It's fate. I can't do anything about it. And all of these heroes are kind of beautiful and heroic and tragic all at the same time because you know in the end they're going to be slaughtered. And they die heroically against all the odds because it's their destiny. Do you know the Norse myths, the ancient European Norse myths? They believed that at the end of time, all of the heroes of, of the world, all of the heroes were going to be defeated in a great battle called Rangarok. I like that name. Rangarok. And that all the monsters in the universe were going to defeat every, every hero that's ever been. That, that was the destiny of all of us. That's how it's going to end, according to Norse mythology. Destiny, fated in the stars. There's nothing you can do about it. I want to put it to you kindly that people still live like that. People live like, I am a product of evolution. What can I do? <laughs> uh, I can't help it. This is who I am. For much of psychology is like that, my friends. Oh, I had a bad relationship with my dad and my mom, and I am who I am. There's nothing I can do. It's all psychology. I'm a victim of my own psychology, my history. My mommy didn't love me. My daddy didn't love me. There is some truth in that. But you are not a victim. You are not connected so much to your psychology that God cannot reign and rule in your life. In power. My point in saying all of this is what do you really believe, my friends? <laughs> what do you really believe this morning? What is your overarching view of life by which you live? Is it pure chance? Do you believe your life is determined by evolution or your star sign or your psychological makeup or whatever it is? Well, I want to tell you again this morning, the Bible teaches, the Bible says that God is enthroned in the heavens and He reigns and He rules in power over every detail of your life. Uh, you might say, okay, Ant, well, what's the difference between that and fatalism? If God is in control and ruling over every area of my life, how can I possibly have any choice? What is this? Well, I can't do a talk on predestination this morning because that's another thing. But I can say this. The Bible says that everything is ruled and reign, God reigns and rules in power. But the Bible is also says with absolute authority that your personal freedom is something that God values above everything. 
and it is a mystery. How does it work? I don't know. How does the Trinity work? I don't know. I know God is my Savior in Jesus. I know God is my Father, and I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when I work it out, I understand something more of the Trinity. But the theory of it, it's a mystery. And the the longer I'm a Christian, the more I I have to be comfortable with mystery. You can't know everything. If you could know everything about God and, he, and you could contemplate everything of who God is in your finite mind, I want to put it to you kindly, what a small, insignificant God that you can understand completely with your finite mind. What kind of God is that? That's not God that I want to serve that I can understand completely and that in my finite mind I know every detail and I can understand everything about God. What a small little God that is. No, our God is the God, King of the universe, the cosmos. And so I would like to just offer you, because I don't understand, two things that help me understand what the Bible is trying to say. And one is, is just a brilliant hero. I love Joseph. Anyone like Joseph's story? This is, a, this is an illustration of the mystery of this thing of God being in control of all things. It's an amazing story. He has a tragic life, <laughs> Joseph. Remember? It seems like everyone else is doing what they want to do to Joseph. And he is getting the short end of the straw every time. Do you notice that about his story? His own brothers, his own flesh and blood, sell him into slavery. He gets thrown down a well. He ends up in Egypt. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He ends up, uh, you, know, you know all the things he does, uh, he interprets dreams and that liberates him for a while and he, and he rises to become the prime minister of Egypt. Then these amazing words at the end of his life. You would think that you would think 20 years later that he's bitter and twisted. You would think that he's angry. You would think that he just wants to get back at his brothers. And the scripture says his brothers come and he can't look at them because he's weeping. His heart is still soft towards God, in spite of all the crap that has happened in his life. And he says these amazing words to his brothers. He says, you intended all of this for evil. You, my own flesh and blood, you did this to me. You intended it for evil. But God intended it for good. I don't know why all stuff happens to you in your life. But I do know that God can turn everything for your good. That is what I'm talking about. That is the rulership of God in your life. That's his kind authority in your life. It's the good father. Another example I can give you. Do you know, when you think of, um, think of the cross, well, let me, let me just say this. You know, this thing of fatalism and, 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 and the Christian idea of God's predestination, God's rulership over our lives. You know, no one forced me to become a Christian. 
You know that? <laughs> I, I did this voluntarily. Uh, as best as I could, when I felt God was, was speaking to me, I gave him my life. And I've, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to follow him for many years now, since I was 12. I've been trying to follow him. I've tried to be, hear the voice of his spirit in my life. I've, I've tried to read the, the, the Bible. I've tried to, to pray. I, I've done all of that stuff, and I've done it imperfectly. I've, I've tried to work out my salvation. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've tried to do that in my life, and I'm sure that you have tried to do the same thing. And this is how, this is how it works. This is, this is how this amazing rulership of God uh, works out, that as I live my life, forward, as I just do what I am called to do, as I read, as I pray, as I hear God's voice, when I look back on my life, I see His amazing hand. I want to encourage you, live forward. Don't, what, this is the most stupid question you could ask. What has God predestined me to do tomorrow? That's really dumb. Don't, don't ask that question. That's how people, that's how they want to know. What is God predestined for me tomorrow? It's really dumb. Don't do that. What you do is you love Jesus. <laughs> you read his words. You pray. You love people. You hear the voice of his spirits. You give yourself to his kingdom. And then as you look back on his life, on your life, you see his hand guiding you, showing you, saying, go this way. Don't go that way. That's how providence works. That's how God holds these things together. You know, the other example I want to give you is the, is the mystery of the cross. Talked about Joseph a little bit. Do you remember Peter preaching in the book of Acts? Um, he's actually preaching in the book of Acts on the anniversary of the law being given. Isn't that amazing? It's the anniversary of the law being given, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. The law isn't given again. The Holy Spirit comes in power. And it's poured out on all people. They start speaking in tongues. And, and, and Peter gets up and starts preaching. And you, if you, you go in Acts 2 and 3, go and read what he says. It is incredibly powerful. Because he says this, you, you people, you took the Son of God, the righteous one, the holy one, and you killed him. You did. Every single one of you. And in the same verse, he says these amazing words. He was delivered up with the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here we have it again. You, everyone's going around doing stuff that they think is the stuff they need to do and, and behaving badly. And in all of it, God is getting his will done. So Peter says this amazing thing. Yes, it's true that you killed him. It's, it's true that you guys offered him up. But it was, he was offered up by the hand of the Father. The Father knew all along. And they are struck to the heart. And they move, and they're convicted, and say, what must we do? <laughs> and Peter says, repent, change. And they do, and an amazing move begins to happen. And that's how it works. On the one hand, delivered up by evil men to do what they wanted to do, but by the full foreknowledge of God. You see, that's what Christian providence says. It says that God gets his will done in the midst of people doing what they think they, are, they need to do, and in the midst of the freedom that we have as humans. Most people think they are doing what they want to do and getting their will done, but in all of it, God gets His will done. So I'm asking you again for a third time, what do you really believe this morning? I hope there are no atheists here today, but perhaps there are. 
Maybe there's some atheists here. Perhaps there's some people that are more deistic. You believe in God, but you don't really believe that you can have a relationship with Him. He's kind of removed. He's out there somewhere. You don't really have fellowship with Him. You don't really believe in miracles. I mean, that's kind of like so old-fashioned, isn't it? You don't really believe in miracles. Supernatural stuff? Come on. We scientific. We live in the 21st century. How can that possibly be true? Don't pray to Him very much. Don't really expect Him to move in your life in any significant way. But you believe in Him. He's kind of out there somewhere. I want to say to you kindly this morning, you're a deist. I want to encourage you, don't remain like that. And you kind of think, oh, the world is just like, it's a big machine. It kind of runs, you know, we kind of do our thing, but it's all just kind of maths and science and numbers. I say to you again, if that's your worldview, you're a deist. Don't remain like that. I want to encourage you this morning that you discover Jesus. He can do miracles in your life right here today. He is not far away. We sung this morning, He's a good Father to us. He is very near. He is right here. He wants to know you. He wants to be intimately involved with your life. And we are living in a world that is far more complex than any machine. It's far more mysterious. It's full of mystery and wonder. And the more we discover about our universe, we know more that we know that that is true. Don't be a determinist. Don't live like that. Don't be a fatalist. Don't think your life is controlled by other things that you have no control over. Evolution, the stars, your inherited psychology, the gods of Mount Olympus. I don't care what they are. Don't think that your life is just meaningless and chance. Don't think that your life is controlled by some malevolent fate that you've got nothing to do with. Don't think like that anymore. I'm encouraging, I'm imploring you, I'm trying to get you to understand, I want you to know the providence of God in your life. I want you to know it. That God is in control. Every detail, that nothing that happens to you is beyond His control. It's not chance, it's not luck. He's intimately involved in every detail of your life. Don't think that whatever you do, God is going to be with you anyway. Even Hitler believed that. I'm not promising you a life that's free of problems and a cushy life. But I am saying that as you live like this, God will work out his destiny for your life. And through you, he'll touch the world and change the destiny of many. So I'm finishing with three little things. Three elements of God's providence that you and I can know. First, God sustains everything and holds everything together by the power of his word. I love this scripture. That says, in him we live and move and have our being. Do you know that scripture? In him we live and move and have our being. Let me unpack that for you. Everything coheres in the Lord Jesus. The risen Christ, the ascended, the glorified man, Jesus, holds all things together in himself. That's what the scripture says. In him we live and move and have our being. He has been put into position as king of the universe he was destined for that even before the foundation of the world. But now after that, he's been raised from the dead. That is true to a higher and, and greater degree and a greater measure. And every moment of every day, every breath that you and I take is sustained by the power of his word. You would not be alive today if it wasn't for him holding all things together in himself. That's what the Bible teaches. Everything is upholded by the risen king. I love Hebrews 1.3, because 
It's not only that. It is all of that, but there's something more as well, which is even more wonderful. It says God is upholding not, uh, not only upholding everything, but he's also guarding everything. That's the second thing about God's providence. How do I know that? Well, Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining, that's upholding, all things by his powerful word. And the Greek there, the original, has, has two kind of um, inflections on it. It, it. it means that he's not only carrying things and holding them up, it also means that he's carrying them forward to their perfection. I love that. Why? Because what does it tell me? It tells me that the Lord is not only the, uni the Lord of the universe, he's also the Lord of history. And all of history he is upholding and he's taking forward into his perfect purpose for history. Our lives do have meaning, every one of us. It's not chance, not random, no. The God of history controls all of history, has placed your life in a moment and time, and your destiny is assured as you follow God, He will take you into all that He has for you because He loves you as a good father. Despite of all, can I say it again, despite of all the crap that's happened in your life. And if you're more offended that I said crap, then there's a problem. God loves you. And I put it to you, we need to start seeing all of our lives through those lenses. Start living like that. God upholds everything. Have you noticed this? That the world is changing so fast. Morality is changing. Economics are changing. It's the century of immigration all over the world. People are moving like never before. You're finding people all over the world in places that they shouldn't belong. You notice that? I shouldn't belong here. America is no longer the power that it was. Soon we'll see other countries like China and India having more and more influence in the world. Mark, my, my point to you this morning is do you see all of that through the eyes of faith? Why is that happening? If God is in control of history, why is that happening? Well, we're going to look at some other things over the next couple of weeks. But, but have you noticed that, that people seem to be reached in places that they don't belong? So if you want to reach Muslims, you don't have to go to Jeddah anymore. <laughs> you, if, you, if your heart is to see Muslims come to, to faith, you can just stay in London. You can walk up to Hatfield Road, just up the road here. There's a mosque right here. I don't have to go to Jeddah anymore. And yet at the same time, I know some friends in the Middle East that are leading large churches in the Middle East. 500 plus members in these little Middle Eastern countries. And I've, I know of, there's a friend of mine that actually their, their services in the Middle East in a Muslim country are interpret into, interpreted into Hindi. Why is that? Because there's so many people from India and Nepal in the Middle East that they're preaching the gospel in Hindi and seeing people saved. You don't have to go to Jeddah. You can stay here. You can go to the Middle East to reach Indians and Nepalese. All over the world, people are being moved. This is the century. Are we seeing this with the lens of faith? God is in control. God is working out His will. When we go to Southeast Asia, every year, you just come back from Southeast Asia, yeah? What do you see all over Southeast Asia? 
You see the lost tribe of England. Who's the lost tribe of England? Young people with backpacks on their back. Going for two years to find meaning in life. What do they do? They go to Bangkok and try a little Buddhism. They go to Thailand somewhere. They go to Cambodia. They go to India. They try and find themselves. You know what? We've seen uh, friends of ours reach people like that. When you're, out of your, when you're out of your natural environment, you're a little bit more open to hearing something from other people. Are you with me? I'm not insulting anyone when I said that, all right? I'm just saying there's a reality. People go to find themselves, discover meaning in life. Our Western civilization doesn't offer some, we'll talk about that next week, doesn't offer some real, real help for suffering in the way that some Eastern religions do. That's why people want to find out. Are we seeing all of this with the eye of faith? You see, the Bible says that Jesus is the head of his church and head over all things for the sake of the church. All of this that is happening in our world is for the sake of his kingdom and the, for the sake of his church. Can you start seeing things with the eye of faith? That's what the old guys did. When the world was being explored in the 19th century, what, what followed on all the exploration? Missionaries going out into places of the world to preach the gospel. And did they get it right? No, they didn't. Am I saying that you need to become like David Livingston? No, please don't become like David Livingston. He got a lot of things wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying at least they saw things in the world with an eye of faith. And they responded with an eye of faith. And they went and they did. I'm not prophesying this, but I'm saying there's some of you that are going to be living in China. There are some of you that are going to be living in the States. There's some of you that are going to be living all over the world in your lives. Why? Because there's going to be opportunities for you with the kingdom. And God is going to open work opportunities for you to go to places that you didn't think of ever before, and you're going to do something for the kingdom there. Why? Because God's heart is for all the nations of the world. Well, you see with the eye of faith this morning. You can live in China. You can be in Singapore. You can be in Chicago, in London. It's easy if you'll just look with the eye of faith. Why? Because Jesus is the head of his body, the church. He rules over all. So let me finish. Summary. The way we handle tough things in our lives, the way that we handle problems, you look back rather than looking forward. Don't ask what God has predestined for you. Rather, do your duty. Obey God's word. Hear his voice. Pray about your life. Ask him for help. Look forward. And then you'll look back the amazing view of seeing what God has done in you. Someone said this, life can be understood backwards, but it has to be lived forwards. Isn't that cool? I love that. Life can be understood backwards, but it has to be lived forwards. Live your life forwards. Go into the future with the eye of faith, and you'll see what God has done for you. You look forward in faith. You look forward in prayer and obedience. You look forward in doing your duty, whatever God is calling to you. You look forward by being faithful to what God has asked you to do in his life. And when you do that, you'll look back on your life and see the amazing plan of God, his hand, you'll see his purpose, you'll see his control. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. He has established his kingdom in the heavenly realm, and he rules in power over everything. Do you believe it this morning for your life? I pray you do, and that you live like that. With the hour of faith, moving into all that God has for you. Amen? Let's pray together.
Father, we want to thank you that you're such a good father to us. Lord, for those that are here this morning that have struggled with some of these things that I've said, I want to pray for your grace for them. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to be fatalistic, not to just give in to our culture that says there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose, that it's all just chance, it's all just random, it's all just evolution. Thank you for your word that says you reign in power from the heavens over every detail of our lives. Thank you for the story of Joseph that encourages us. Thank you, Lord, for the story of your son that encourages us. When we look back on what you did through their lives, it fills us with courage for what you can do through us. And I pray for all of the, uh, us that have suffered tragedies in our lives, hard things. I pray, Lord, that we never doubt your goodness to us just because of the, the difficult things that we've had to live through. We thank you, Lord that you are in control of all things. Your loving arms are under us as a good father. We thank you, Lord, that in all the evil that people do in the world and all the evil that has been done to us in some service, that you are still working out your purpose. It is a mystery. We want to say thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are such a good father to us. And we love you. We want to honor you this morning as the Lord of all who rules over everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.